chapter 17 today. We're going to be looking at Acts 17 verses 1 through 15. So if you can open your Bibles there. Acts 17 verses 1 through 15. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom And on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Thus ends our reading of God's authoritative word. May all who hear it receive the word of God with all eagerness. The year was 2012, the date, April 7th, and the time, 11 p.m. It was the night before Easter, and a young girl named Comfort Jessie was enjoying time with her family in the courtyard of outside their house before going to bed. Suddenly, off in the distance, she heard an explosion. Frightened, her parents instructed both her as well as her eight siblings, to to get into the house as a precaution. Better to be safe than sorry. And yet it wasn't long before the violence that had caused that explosion had reached the front doors of Comfort's home. The church that was located next to them had just been set on fire, and now there was a group of Boko Haram militants that were pounding on their gate in search of Comfort's father. 
Realizing the danger that her father was in, Comfort's whole family helped her father to hide in a back room of their house. And yet when the militants couldn't find him, they, they dragged Comfort's mother outside instead. Striking her with guns, they began taunting her about her Christian faith. They, they cried out mockingly, You Christians say God has a son. Call on this son. Today is your last day. Your own life is over. They then forced Comfort's mother to her knees. They told her that if they, if they don't get their man, then they would kill her instead. And yet Comfort's mother was very bold. She said to her captors, Even though I see your guns, I will not fear you. A moment later, Comfort's father was dragged from the house. Either they had found him or he had given himself up. And when they had brought him out into the courtyard, they then instructed this man to renounce Jesus. And defiance, Comfort's father remained silent. The militants then ordered this man to lie down and then shot him four times, leaving him to bleed out. And before they left, they ransacked Comfort's home and then set her home on fire. Once the violence had passed, Comfort then witnessed her mother trying to console her dying father. She, she held him in her arms and prayed for him. And with his last breath, Comfort's father then uttered a final amen. Comfort and her mother, along with her eight siblings, spent the rest of that night crying in the darkness. Holding true to the scriptures can be a dangerous, dangerous thing. And proclaiming the truth of the scriptures can, can get you killed. The Apostle Paul knew this better than anyone. It seemed like everywhere that he went, there were people who were, who were out for his head. And, and, and why? Simply because he proclaimed what the word of God says. That Jesus is Lord. It was in Damascus that, if you remember, he needed to be let down in a basket from a hole in the city wall in order to flee for his life. It was then in Jerusalem where men plotted to arrest him and, and to put him on trial, and he had to flee once again. And it was in Pisidian Antioch where he was run out of town as the Jewish synagogue leaders conspired with the city officials. And then in Iconium, people were, were looking to stone him, and so he had to flee once again, this time to Lystra. And yet the men, men from both Pisidian Antioch and Iconium had followed him there, and it was in Lystra that they finally got their hands on him. That was when they stoned him and, and dragged his body out of the city, believing that he was dead. And yet he wasn't dead. And so he continued to preach Jesus from the scriptures. And then it was just last week where we read about Paul's troubles in Philippi, where, where he and, and Silas were, were beaten with rods and tossed into prison, and their feet were put into stocks. Yes, it seemed like everywhere that Paul went, he found trouble. And why? 
because he could not keep silent, because he was compelled to, to speak about Jesus Christ. No matter where he was, he would proclaim God's word to any who would hear him. And this brings us to our passage for today. For after leaving Philippi, Paul and his companions made their way to a different city, a different city within the Roman province of Macedonia. And it is in this passage where we see the, the cause of these violent outbreaks. For we will see a distinction between those who view God's word as our divine source of truth and those who would rather ignore scripture because of what scripture says and because of who scripture points to, namely Jesus Christ. Let's see how this plays out. Look at, look at our first four verses. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And here we see Paul and his companions in the th city of Thessalonica, which, which happened to be the capital of Macedonia. And so this was a, a much larger city than where they had been previously in Philippi. Philippi was a population between five and 10,000. This, this city of Thessalonica was anywhere between 45 and 65,000 people. And it was a city that was originally founded by a man named Cassander. Now, Cassander was a, a general under Alexander the Great. And Cassander named this city after his own wife, Thessalonike who just also happened to be Alexander's half-sister. And so this city was strongly, strongly rooted in Greek culture, going back even to the foundings of the Greek Empire. And yet, even though this was the case, it was also the home to many, many Jews. Now, unlike Philippi, this city had its own synagogue. And so this was exactly where Paul went, right? When he began his ministry, this is what he did every time, every city he went to. He would go to the synagogues first and preach Christ. And Luke tells us that for three straight weeks, he reasoned with these Jews from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Now, I don't know if you remember back to, to Paul's first missionary journey when, when Luke took us inside the synagogue within Pisidian Antioch. There we, we saw Paul's gospel presentation to the Jews of that city. And, and do you recall how Paul presented the gospel to them? He quoted scripture after scripture after scripture from the Old Testament, demonstrating how all these passages pointed to Jesus, both to his death 
and to his resurrection. And now Paul was doing the same thing in this city, in Thessalonica. He, he was explaining and proving that Jesus is the Christ by using God's word. And think about this message. That Christ needed to suffer and to die, and that on the third day he would rise again. I mean, what is that? That is the gospel message. That, that was what Paul was laying out for them. He, he was speaking the message of salvation that can only come through Jesus. And he was doing so through the Old Testament scriptures. Here's the thing. It is from God's word that God chooses to reveal himself to us. It is from scripture that we get our truth about him, about who he is and about what he has done. And these Jews should have known this, right? I mean, that was the common view among devout Jews. They viewed God's word as authoritative, as actually coming from God himself. And so what it said was absolute truth. And yet what Paul was preaching was brand new for these Jews. That it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. That wasn't how Jews typically thought about their Messiah. But why would that be? I mean, if, it, if it's in the Old Testament, shouldn't they have known about these things? Well, yes and no. You see, it wasn't until Jesus came and, and began fulfilling all these prophecies that, that these things became clear. And even after Jesus rose from the dead, you have to remember many of his own disciples still didn't fully understand in fact, it wasn't until Jesus opened their hearts to the scriptures, until he personally explained God's word to them, that they began to see these things as they truly were. Consider the road to Emmaus. I mean, here we see the risen Christ speaking to some of his disciples as they were traveling down the road. And only these men, they, they didn't realize that it was him. And yet they listened to him. Hearing him. Look, look, look at this. Look at Luke chapter 24, verses 25 through 27. And he said to them, O, o foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Sound familiar? This is exactly what Paul was teaching in that synagogue. Verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, just like Paul, Jesus was explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And so if Christ needed to do this for his disciples, surely Paul needed to do this for these Jews way off in Thessalonica. And so, yes, these things were not easy to see, especially if you're just learning about this Jesus. 
And this is probably why Paul spent three Sabbaths trying to educate these Jews. He knew that it was a lot to take in and that the majority wouldn't believe the first time they heard. And yet a few eventually did come to believe. Luke tells us that some of the Jews were persuaded, along with many devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Now what Luke is doing here is he is pointing out the large disparity between the, the, the number of Jewish believers, some, a few, and the number of Gentiles, many. For whatever reason, the majority of the Jews within Thessalonica had rejected the gospel message, and yet many of the Gentiles came to the faith. And we are left asking the question, why? Why did, why did these people believe and the others did not? We get an answer elsewhere in Scripture. Did you know that? We actually get the reason for their faith in one of Paul's letters to this church in Thessalonica. Look at, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Here Paul speaks about them coming to the faith. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so we, we see that it was through their acceptance of the word of God for what it truly is that they believed. In other words, the, the church in Thessalonica was formed because these people held a high view of Scripture. They believed that it truly was what God spoke. And when Paul had proven to them that God's word pointed to Jesus, they then understand that God himself was pointing to Jesus. And so this newfound faith came not through any personal experience nor any encounter with the risen Christ, but from their study of the word and from the Holy Spirit, allowing them to understand Scripture's true meaning. And yet not all were persuaded. Look at verse 5. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And so while the kingdom of God was growing, the enemies of God's kingdom were fuming. And notice who these enemies were. They were the Jews, particularly those, those many Jews who had rejected Paul's teaching and what the word of God truly had to say. But why? Why did they reject the gospel? Well, it was because they didn't believe that Scripture truly was God's word. I mean, Paul had proven to them that the Scriptures pointed to Jesus as the Messiah, and that the Messiah must suffer and die, and that he must rise again. And yet, they, for some reason, they didn't like that message. And so they rejected God's word because they had rejected Jesus. 
I mean, bottom line, they, they, they didn't like the messianic figure that Paul had proclaimed, a Messiah who needed to suffer and die. They wanted a different Messiah, a Messiah who could conquer, a Messiah who could lead them into battle and, and maybe perhaps take back Jerusalem for them. They wanted victory over their earthly enemies and rather than victory over their sins. And so the cross had become a stumbling block to them. But is this really any different than what we see going on today? There are many, even within the visible church, who want a different Jesus than the one that Scripture lays out for us. They, they want a Jesus who is ever forgiving but is never transforming. They want a Jesus who, who doesn't really care about the sins in their own lives. Just someone who loves us as the world defines love. And so they have to twist and, and mangle the scriptures and sometimes even reject God's word altogether in order to make their Jesus into a reality. Let me ask you, who is the Jesus that you worship? Is he in agreement with what God's word says? Or does he look more like a savior of your own imagination? Do you hold true to God's word and the, and the message of Christ? Or are you trying to create your own salvation story? Your own savior? You see, when you have a false Jesus, when you have a false Messiah, then what you really have is a false gospel. And when, when the real gospel is preached, when the real Jesus shows up, that's when you start to see anger and jealousy and perhaps even violence. Just as we saw back in Pisidian Antioch, it was, it was out of jealousy that these Jews in Thessalonica took action. I mean, what was it that these men did? They, they partnered themselves with other wicked men. They formed a mob. They caused discord within their city in response to the gospel. They wanted to grab the apostle Paul and shut him up. And so they went to the house of Jason, who, my guess, was a convert to the Christian faith a man who had opened his home to Paul and his friends. Look at, look at verses 6 and 7. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus Neither Paul nor Silas could be found. And, and while this may have been good news for these missionaries, it was bad news for this man named Jason. And what did the mob do? They, they dragged Jason out along with several others. And they, they, they then accused them of being accessories to the crimes of Paul and his friends. And what were these crimes? Well, for one, the, these men have turned the world upside down. What does that mean? Basically, they, they have been the cause of upheaval and, and drastic change wherever they go. 
And this was a, a, a serious charge. I mean, think about the laws we have in our own country for those who begin riots and violent protests. This is what they were accusing these missionaries of, even though they were the ones who had formed them out. And yet there is some truth to this claim, is there not? For, for wherever Paul went, trouble always seemed to follow. Jewish synagogues would split, and city, cities would be disrupted, discord would ensue. I mean, how many times was Paul kicked out of a city or forced to flee? I mean, he was a troublemaker. And yet all he did was preach Christ from the scriptures. He, he spoke the truth, and the truth was, was too much for them to handle. Oh, that we would see trouble today. That there would be Christians who would be so bold that, that the world wouldn't know what to do with them. That they would be so vocal when they preached the word that, that the hearts of those who are called would turn to Jesus. And that those who oppose this message would have to take notice. For they would hear the siren's warning of, of repentance. Oh, that we would be accused of turning the world upside down. Listen, if, if a gospel proclamation never offends anyone, then, it, then is it really a gospel proclamation? And we as a church in America, we need to grow a backbone. We, we, we need to make waves that are so high that boats capsize. We need to be the ones to turn the world upside down. But turning the world upside down wasn't the only thing that these men were accused of, now was it? For they were also accused of saying that there was another king other than Caesar, King Jesus. And to claim a king other than Caesar, well, that was sedition. And again, there, there's truth behind this claim as well, is there not? For Jesus is our king. He is the king of kings. And it would be this belief that would become the basis of Rome's persecution against the Christians. Basically, these Christians were committing treason every time they claimed Jesus is Lord. For they were violating the, the mandated oath of allegiance to the emperor. <clears throat> Again, this, this isn't any different than much of the world today, is it? I mean, how many nations demand their people's allegiance over everything? Nations like China and, and North Korea. Nations where the state has become godlike. And those who claim Christ as their king, well, they are seen as enemies of the state. They are to be outlawed. And even, even in our own nation, there is this underlying unified pressure to keep the church silent, is there not? And they're okay with you. You can have your religion. Just keep it to yourselves and don't push it upon us. Do not teach that Jesus is Lord and because if you do, we will silence you. 
And yet we can't remain silent, can we? For King Jesus has commanded us to be his witnesses. And so we see two accusations, do we not? Concerning Paul and his friends. One, they were turning the world upside down. And two, they were claiming Jesus as Lord. And yet for Paul and his companions, it was probably a good thing that they couldn't be found, for who knows what this crowd would have done to them. But that left Jason and these other believers under immense pressure. For this mob would now vent their frustrations upon them. Look at, look at verses 8 and 9. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And so this crowd did not get their pound of flesh, and so they made Jason and these other believers pay a hefty fine. They, 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 they made them, they, they took their own money, guaranteeing that they would turn these men in once they had found them. Basically, what, what, what Luke is describing here is a type of bail money that they took from them, that they had to pay, that they would only receive back once these other missionaries had been found. And yet Jason and his friends cared not about the money. Instead, they helped these missionaries to flee the city. Look at verse 10. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. You see, Paul and Silas, they, they knew the, the danger that they were putting these other believers in. And so they decided that it would be best to move on. And so that very night they left, made their way to Berea, a city 50 miles west of Thessalonica. And as if on cue, what's the first thing we see that Paul was doing? He, he went to the synagogue that was in Berea and proclaimed Jesus. He was ready to make more waves. Right? Well, let's see how rocky things would get in this new city. Look at verses 11 and 12. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of, many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. And so Luke now contrasts the Jews of Berea to the Jews of Thessalonica, particularly those Jews who not only rejected the gospel, but then formed a mob and ran Paul and his friends out of town. And, and there, 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 there are three categories that Luke highlights for us in this comparison. One, that the Jews in Berea were more noble. In other words, they were men and women of a higher moral character. They, they weren't partnering themselves with wicked men to get their way. And we'll see why as we look at these other categories. Look at the second one. Two, they, they received the word with all eagerness. 
They received the word with all eagerness. Basically, these people had a love for God's word. And they were excited about what Paul was teaching them. For Paul was opening to them the scriptures, allowing them to see what had once been hidden as he unfolded the saving work of God that only comes through Jesus Christ. They loved God's word, and when it was opened to them, they got excited. Finally, three, they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. In other words, they held a high view of Scripture, understanding that it is by the very Word of God that we must judge all things. And so what they would do is they would take Paul's teaching and then compare it to the rest of the Bible. They were trying to validate the truth of Paul's claims. This is called discernment. And it is a skill that every Christian should develop. Now, now what you have to, have to understand is that when Luke says that these people were examining the scriptures, it would have been much more difficult for them than it would be for us today. I mean, think about it. They had no printing press. They had no internet. Just these expensive scrolls that, that would have been stored in their synagogue. And so the members of this community were, were probably coming together every night, opening up these scrolls, and then studying together. I mean, this is the type of dedication that they had to God's Word. Oh, that we would be that faithful today. Faithful to, to open up our Bibles and compare what has been taught to us to what is actually written. I mean, even today, you, you are sitting under my teaching from the book of Acts. Are you going to take these things home and compare it to, to the rest of God's Word? I mean, that is your duty. That is the noble thing to do. This is what the Bereans did. And because of their study, what, the, what these Bereans discovered was what Paul was preaching was the truth. And so unlike in, in Thessalonica, many of the Jews came to saving faith, as well as some of the Greeks and some of the prominent men and women. And so in Berea, we, we see a city that had welcomed the gospel because they understood that God's word has authority over their lives. And if God's word was pointing them to Jesus, then they must submit. They would be the ones who would have their worlds turned upside down. Because God's word told them to do so. Now, I can only imagine Paul being in the city of Berea and thinking, why isn't every city like this? <laughs> I mean, what a, what a relief he must have felt when he had arrived there. For it was so unlike all these other cities where he had been. Instead of chaos and discord stirred up by these unbelieving Jews, these Jews were becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. It was exactly what Paul had been praying for, what Paul desired. 
And I'm sure it was a welcome change from what he had experienced just days prior. But unfortunately, he could not rest on his laurels as the enemies of the gospel were not far behind. For as we soon shall see, they too would find their way to Berea. Look look at verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Now this isn't the first time that we've seen the enemies of Paul travel long distances in order to cause him trouble. The road from Thessalonica to Berea was was roughly 50 miles. And so this wasn't a short trip. And yet this is the type of vile, vile hatred that these men had towards Jesus and towards Jesus' servants. They traveled great lengths in order to rile up the crowds and deliver strife to these men. And a man like Paul, he probably understood what drove these men. Because he used to be just like them, right? Traveling great distances in order to arrest Christians and put them into prison. I mean, that was his M.O. before Jesus yanked him off that horse. And yet God's hand of protection was upon his servant. Once again, Paul was able to flee from this danger. Look at at our last two verses. Look at verses 14 and 15. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. You see, out of, out of all these missionaries, it was, it was Paul who had the target on his back. And this makes sense as Paul was the, the leader of this group and the one who, who, who spoke publicly. And so he was the one who would leave while, while Silas and Timothy remained behind. As for Luke, we're not sure where he went, whether he stayed or whether he, he traveled with Paul. My guess is he went with Paul where he recorded a detailed account of what happened in Athens. And we'll, we'll look at that next, next Sunday. But, but that is neither here nor there. Bottom line, Paul was the one whom these men were after, was it not? And if he had remained in Berea, he would have not only put himself in danger, but the rest of the church as well. And so he left. Yet both Silas and Timothy remained. It's a good thing, too, for this this young church in Berea. They needed guidance. And both of these men were capable of giving that guidance. Plus, with with the persecution that this church would surely face, these new believers would need to have leaders that they could look to in their times of trouble. Now, now when we look at this story, when we look at this tale of two cities, this account of the Thessalonians and the Bereans, what what do we see? We see the difference between those who hold God's word high and those who don't. 
And the one, we have a faithful church, a, a people willing to submit to the truth even when it costs them. And the other, we see those who hold a disdain towards God. So much so that they are willing to travel 50 miles in order to cause violence upon God's servants. And this story has repeated itself throughout the generations, has it not? Even today, God is calling for his people to submit. Submit to his word and, and to submit to his son. God is calling you to submit to his word and to his son. And this is a dangerous, dangerous calling. For God does not guarantee your safety. And yet he calls you to turn the world upside down for him. But what does he guarantee? Well, for one, he guarantees that he'll be by our side through it all. Will he not? No matter what occurs, he is right there with you. I can't help to think about comfort in her family and all the pain that they had gone through these past 11 years. I mean, her, her father died because he submitted to God's word. Her father died because he submitted to God's son. And yet through all that pain, comfort can know that she will one day see her father again. And why? Because God's word and God's son promises her. And that's our promise as well. So let us receive the word with all eagerness. And let us, let us examine the scriptures daily. And then let us pledge our allegiance to Christ our Lord as we turn the world upside down for him. Let's pray. Father, we truly do thank you for your word. For it is through your word that, that you have revealed to us the truth about your son. That he is the Christ. That he is our Lord. And that salvation only comes through him. That he suffered for us. And that he rose from the dead three days later. That's what your word speaks to us. And we ask now that you would help us to bear witness to your word and to your son so that the world around us might come to know the truth about Jesus. That they might be called into repentance and into saving faith. Help us to turn the world upside down for your sake. We can only do so through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so we ask now that you would fill us we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.